Yo, yo, welcome, welcome to the Millennials Podcast. My name is Meeks. You can find me at the young underscore pilgrim on Instagram. We're going to be discussing everything that implicates young people today. So thanks for joining and we hope that you enjoy. Welcome to the Millennials Podcast. My name is Meeks. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for sharing your time with us here today. You can find me at the young underscore pilgrim on your favorite social media platforms. Today, I just want to briefly talk about the importance of having a strategy in 2024 and perhaps give you some insight into what I think that strategy should entail. So right off the bat, it's pretty clear that we should expect a lot of ups and downs. It's definitely going to be a cataclysmic year. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. It's just the indicators from a financial perspective from a global economic perspective, as well as discussions about the climate and foreign policy, the wars, it's pretty evident that we'll have a tumultuous year, to say the least. So my role here is to just kind of help put things into context and maybe provide a few pointers for folks to think about how to strategize themselves. Because at the end of the day, if we want to look at this from a big picture point of view, there's this idea that we are moving into a new order of the ages, which for some people might be conspiratorial, but it is a fact that, you know, the conglomeration of business, of finance, of government is really happening at a rapid pace. Antitrust law is really something that has taken a back seat. At least in Europe, they are trying to keep some of our corporations accountable. But the major corporations in the US, the Metas, the Teslas, all these guys move as see fit. So most of these large multinational companies in the US have cut blanche opportunities to move as this shareholders and stakeholders determine is the best practice. And as a result, we're moving towards an apex an apogee. And that apogee basically is going to entail the limitation of human rights. And I say that because with the exploration into space, the exploration into AI and machine learning technologies, there's this idea that the role of humanity is taking a back seat. Right. So at some point we can conceive jobs being null and void. And many of these tasks that we operate and do day to day will kind of be pushed over to the machine learning sector and will just become appendages of technologies such as chat GPT. Right. And so speaking of chat GPT, I got an email from the CEO there going into the new year saying, you know, it would be great if you signed up for our membership plan, which is like six bucks a month or whatever to use the platform. So now we've gone from talking about AI as a disruptive kind of technology and really embracing it and monetizing it and sharing it with the masses. So these are some of the things that I'm citing as examples to show that it will be kind of a rough ride in 2024. At least the platform will be laid further and the foundation for these technologies to kind of replace humans in the workforce will become more prevalent. So that's one aspect I think that it's really important to think about. And just sticking with the technology thing, I happen to watch former President Obama's executive produced movie. I think Michelle also co-produced it, Leave the World Behind with Julia Roberts during the Christmas break here. And it was a fascinating movie that kind of, I don't know if it projects, but it definitely suggests that a cyber attack event could be inevitable or could be in the works. And far be it from, you know, insiders to kind of give us a sense of what's coming down the pike, just like good old Dr. Fauci did when he spoke in uh, Georgetown a few months before COVID hit and said he guaranteed that there would be a health crisis coming to the United States. And now that we know he was part of the team that signed off on 
gain of function research that allowed China, first University of North Carolina, but then ultimately China got the grant to do research, which enabled this lab leak, quote unquote lab leak of what we now call COVID-19. And so the powers that be who kind of have an insight into some of these issues are giving us some hints into how things will evolve over time. I'm not sure if that's kind of like their karma inflected way of doing business. In other words, they feel like they have to at least let the public know, give them fair warning, quote unquote, because obviously if you're telling people this is coming down the pike and there's not much that they can do about it, your warning really doesn't help society at all. In any event, so this movie, Leave the World Behind, goes into this idea of a cyber event, which enables society to kind of be restructured, right? So the idea, if you look at it from a globalization point of view, right, the idea is to make the world into one conglomerate, one institution that can be managed centrally by a handful of people. I think former President Bush called it the 1000 points of light Bush Jr. did at some point. And his father, the late, actually spoke about creating a new world order for the ages. So these are conversations that have been going on for quite some time here for those who want to pay attention. And, you know, the folks who would say this is all conspiratorial, much power to you. But if you do the research, you'll find that some of these things are planned in advance, so-called pandemic. And if you read philosophers and people who are infused in this way of thinking, you see hints about this strategy coming to fruition. Um, if you read Joseph Schumpeter's book about about, you know, creative destruction. It's this idea that the world would be reformed in a way that benefits a handful of people who get to determine how society would kind of move forward. And this has been a plan that's been in place for myriad generations, some would say as far back as the destruction of the Tower of Babel, which if you look at the European Union headquarters in Brussels, apparently it's the rebuilding of the Tower of Babel that was destroyed four to 5,000 years ago. Now, let's just put this into perspective for us in this day and age. So bring it closer to home. How would a cyber attack how would a cataclysmic event, environmental or that sort of thing impact society? Well, you wouldn't be able to do your daily tasks, for example, if the lights went out for an indefinite amount of time. So in that regard, it's better to be safe than sorry. So think about how you could set yourself up in your own home, in your own community to kind of weather the storm if such a crisis were to hit, right? So you might want to get like a generator, but that would only be limited in terms of how long it can last if, you know, there was a cyber attack and, you know, there was the grid went down, for example. But would you be able to survive if your phone run out of power after, you know, you can't charge your phone and suddenly you're out of luck? How would you actually plan to move forward? And the idea is to have a plan. I'm big on this idea of trying to plan ahead because when the catastrophe hits, then at least you have some semblance of idea of how to move forward. So maybe thinking about reaching out to your parents, reaching out to your family and strategizing a way in which in the event something were to happen, you would have an alternative plan. And this is just something one can think about. There's a myriad of opportunities here for one to consider in terms of like, I should get candles for my home at the very least. I should get like a, a stove that, you know, I can use like a camping stove. Those are the sort of things that one should think about. I mean, it doesn't hurt to get an extra can of beans every time you go to Whole Foods, make sure it's organic. We want you to actually live beyond this crisis. So the idea here is to just set yourself up mentally and more importantly, physically to weather the storm here. The other piece I want to bring in here as a result of also another documentary I've been watching is this idea of health sufficiency. So 
there's a documentary on Netflix right now that is going into you are what you eat. And the idea with this documentary is that they're doing tests on the verity or the efficacy of eating a plant based diet. And so they picked twins from across the country because twins tend to have the same type of DNA and put one of them on a plant based diet and another of them on an omnivore diet to see the outcome of their health. And this is an interesting way to think about preparing for 2024. What are some of the outcomes that you would like to kind of see in terms of if it's a health-based outcome, what are you doing to lose 10 or 15 pounds? And why do you want to lose 10 or 15 pounds? You have to really break it down to the bare minimum reason for every action that you hope to take in 2024. Well, if you're having back issues like I did some time back because maybe you're not having enough calcium in your diet or you know, you're eating terribly, whatever the reason may be, you want to make sure that that's clear in terms of these are the goals that I have. This is the outcome I'm looking to get and the reason why. I think often we we fail to kind of ask why we're doing things. Why do we hang out with the people that we hang out with? Why do we wake up and do the same kind of things on a day-to-day basis that we tend to do? Why don't we kind of think about doing things that might be unorthodox, but helpful to your well-being in the long run? And this is where you should just take a few hours early in this year, maybe a few days to kind of just map out where are some of the places that you believe you need to kind of improve your life? And so health, I think, is extremely vital because without health, you know, you can make a ton of money, but with without good health, you can't really expend that money over a long period of time if, you know, you don't have the health to kind of facilitate that, right? So you're traveling to the south of France for a con or something and, you know, your health is pretty bad and, you know, God forbid you get a stroke once you land there. So there's, there's many implications that health has on just living a good life. So I would encourage people to maybe watch this documentary, Draw What You Eat, to get some insight into some ways that you can um, improve your outcomes as we enter 2024 here. So the other thing I want to consider as we enter 2024 is the financial aspect of things. So obviously the economy looks like, you know, they say that there was good employment in the last quarter of 2023. Jerome Powell, however, is fidgety about these banks and how they have so much money under management. And yet that money is not trickling out to the larger community. And there's this fear that banks basically don't know what the other folks have in terms of securities that might be underwater. And this rise and fall of interest rates, it seems like Jerome Powell has been on a tear to increase interest rates. There's a good chance that this will have a deleterious effect in 2024 insofar as banks won't be able to refinance some of the loans and the programs that they had. And therefore, there'll be some kind of fallout. And, you know, it's pretty clear that the inversion of the treasury market there is an indicator that we're likely to hit a recession. So in effect, the returns on a two year are higher than the returns on a 10 year. And that's what is called as the inverted rate of treasury bills. And that's problematic because it should be the opposite. And therefore, what we're probably going to see here is towards the mid or the end of 2024, is like this scramble for people to park their money in places where they're getting a good return. And that's why places like Percent, which is a startup that effectively invests your money in the private capital markets, these type of companies are doing well. And, you know, you're seeing Bitcoin going up to $44,000. People are looking for creative ways to invest their money because there's no surety that the banking system is secure. And so what I foresee as happening is when the markets basically revert, 
that's when the recession will kick in. In other words, when the market kind of predicts to be going back into a bullish type of space, that's when, you know, we'll, we'll really see the externalities of this inverted treasury rate hitting you and I, the common people. And this is obviously just a prediction, but I think it's fair to say that the rise in interest rates, these big banks, private equity firms taking large tracts of buildings and real estate off the market, making it more challenging for you and I to get housing, a good housing in, in urban neighborhoods is going to have an effect in the general economy. Therefore, I would encourage people to think about taking on smart loans if you have to take loans, but trying to pay down all your loans if possible, because what you don't want to happen is, you know, your loans being reestablished at a higher rate than they were initially. You don't want your loans being sold and, and the underlying security to be sold to your discomfort. So paying down your loans would be the most ideal thing to do, first of all. Secondly, is thinking about taking smart loans, low interest or fixed interest loans if you must. And I would only do this for a home. If you don't want to rent, I think you can do this for a home, but not a home or a house in the urban areas. I can't stress this enough, but like when there's a crisis, like I've kind of presented here with this, with the cyber crisis, it's likely going to hurt people in the urban communities more so than in the suburbs and in the country, right? So just be smart that if the grid were to go down and everybody's kind of rushing to the local market in downtown Brooklyn to get food, it's going to be hectic. And I can recall when Hurricane Sandy hit New York and it was stressful. I had to wake up at like 4 a.m. to try and get gas for my car because the refineries, which are mostly in Jersey, were kind of shut down and affected by the Hurricane Sandy. And therefore, you know, the gas stations weren't being filled on time. So I had to wake up at four searching for gas. And I remember driving around Williamsburg in Brooklyn, trying to find a gas station. And when I did find one, the line was so long and you're sitting in your car, you're looking at your gas tank at E and you're wondering, am I going to make it? And you're seeing cops coming in and getting first dibs on gas because they are frontline folks. And you're seeing people cutting because they know the owner of the gas station. It was terrible. This is the kind of stuff that you would expect if a crisis were to hit the big city. So if you're going to get a loan for a mortgage, I would suggest that you look into getting one outside the major cities. If you can work remotely, you have no excuse. But if you have to commute longer because your job is in the city, I would strongly encourage you to to do that because ultimately it's going to be worth your while and you'll be less stressed out when the crisis hits if and when it hits. Maybe not 2024, but certainly it will hit at some point given what we're seeing happening from all these different aspects of society right now. Okay, so if you're going to get a loan, let's just stick with this conversation real quick. I would recommend looking into USDA loans for mortgage, for example. So a USDA mortgage loan is a low interest loan that allows you to have a home uh, or a business or a farm outside of the city. So they have a guide in terms of what areas you can actually own property on. So let's say in New York, you might be able to get property somewhat further out than Westchester County. I think that would count as as the country. So whatever counties after Westchester County, you'd be able to qualify for a home there. And, you know, it's a low interest mortgage and you get a nice two bedroom place with a backyard where you can have a small garden and grow some some vegetables at the very least, um, do some hydroponics and you're able to commute into the city work and at the end of the day go back home and I think it's manageable it might be a little challenging at first because you're not used to it and you're missing out on the happy hours after work but ultimately I think this is the most prudent thing for you to do as we get into this year okay and then just sticking with how to think about investments. I think going into cryptology might be an interesting place, even if a lot of people have kind of spoken ill about buying Bitcoin and Ethereum and those sorts of stable coins. I'm skeptical maybe to some extent about Bitcoin because, you know, 
there's this notion that the National Security Agency, NSA, is really behind the group that developed the technology for Bitcoin. And they even show that the white paper was written by somebody who has a name similar to Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, This unknown founder of Bitcoin is the idea here is it's a government op, which wouldn't surprise me because, you know, the Internet was founded by the Defense Department years, years before it became mainstream. So you just want to be aware that it might be somewhat manipulated. But the signs that show that we're going into the Web3 space are clear. I mean, BlackRock, Fidelity, all these guys are filing to be able to create products that are stable coin products. So like a Bitcoin EFT or mutual fund. And therefore that suggests that, you know, the Justice Department will play along if these big boys are getting the rights to kind of create EFTs with Bitcoin and some of these stable coins. That's an indication that ultimately we are moving in that direction. And to be honest, the blockchain technology is here to stay. We know about CBDCs, although I don't think the CBDC system will kick in through the Fed coin. I think they'll kick in through the actual banks. They'll have their own like CBDC wallets that the bank will be able to integrate into the Fed coin. So the technology will stay. Blockchain technology is here to stay. I just think that we should be smart about where to invest. I look at Stable coins like Ethereum as being interesting, um, actually part of a group that's created a housing based coin, which is known as equity coin, which is interesting for affordable housing. So you're going to see a lot of creative projects coming out of the stable coin space, the Web3 space. And I encourage you to invest in the ones that are local, the ones that you actually know who the founder is, that you can get on the call and speak to him. I'm actually thinking about going to Solana's event, their conference this year in uh, Singapore in 2024 to kind of learn more about the founder and the organization to see if it's a company worth really investing in. It seems like a very stable organization. And I I would encourage people to look into other stable coins and see which one fits their needs. But we have to think about investments in a very critical way, right? If you're going to diversify, you have to think outside the box. And there's a good documentary that dropped a few months ago that's now going around. It's called The Great Taking by a former investment banker who moved to Sweden and he breaks down how the system is flawed. So if you have YouTube, I would encourage you to check that documentary out. It's called The Great Taking. So I think just ultimately wrapping up here, 2024 is going to be an interesting year and I'm excited to go into it. There will be opportunities to create systems, programs, platforms that will be able to help society. But you want to think locally rather than globally, because while these financiers and the folks at the World Economic Forum, for example, are thinking about globalization and how you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, you have to create your own plan if you don't want to be defaulting into their plan. And your own plan should really include a local mindset, creating a community of people that you can work with to develop ideas of commerce, but also of support and spiritual upliftment, being able to create community so you can get support in in hard times and mental health support, people you can share ideas with. This is really the time to create community. And I think part of the reason why I created this pod is so that we can start sharing ideas about what we see could be a better way of doing business and creating this supportive system that would enable us to be successful in a difficult time that's coming up here. And so that's a quick summary of what I would recommend that you think about going into 2024 and creating a strategy around. There'll probably be some other things that come up in the next few episodes that might be similar to this topic. But I think this is a good place for me to kind of stop. And I'm happy to hear your feedback, your thoughts, any ideas that I may have left out. Definitely would be happy to engage conversation about. But until next time, you know what to do. Hit me up. If you have questions, leave a comment, like, share, subscribe. That's the pod. Yo, yo, welcome, welcome to the 
Millennials Podcast. My name is Meeks. You can find me at the young underscore pilgrim on Instagram. We're going to be discussing everything that implicates young people today. So thanks for joining and we hope that you enjoy.